All right. Welcome back to another episode of Over-Engineered, the podcast where we ask the very important question, what's the best way to do things that don't particularly matter? I am back with my friends Skylar and Bogdan, and today we are talking about uh, customizing the way you send email from your application. So everything from... uh, you know, how do you change the email recipient uh, and how do you change the content? How do you make the content previewable? Um, and how uh, potentially how do you even change like the logic behind when and if content gets sent? Um, and I think uh, this is something that, you know, we've bumped into in various different ways. And some of it we've sort of been talking about well, in the future, we see a case where it's going to get even more complicated than it is. Um, but so far, I think we have a pretty solid solution for one, one, one piece of this puzzle, but it definitely falls into that category of things that you just kind of run into in different ways and sort of solve-ish um, and move on. And so I'm excited to try to think of... Uh, a better way to approach this. But um, before we get going, um, I feel like we've each approached this problem in past projects differently. So I think it'd just be kind of interesting to talk about those experiences uh, and then move from there. Yeah, I mean, I think we, one one thing that um, that I've experienced before is, you know, we had a situation where a person was getting reports uh, from our system, like new user, activation reports and they were going on leave for over a month and someone else needed to get this email um and also the person that was going on leave like they didn't need these emails when they got back they don't need daily active user reports from a month ago and so we were like i guess we'll just like have to remember to deploy a change to the configuration of who gets this email um you know like it would have been great to have some sort of vacation mode like from the UI where they could just turn off the email um, and someone else could turn it on or activate it. Um, right. Or even be able to like set vacation mode and just enter in the, the like who should receive this while I'm gone. That would be pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And uh, we never, like I never built that, but it would have been, it would have been a great, uh, a great thing to build. I have built, a system to like customize what the email says when it goes out. But I think Bogdan has as well, if you want to chat about your solution there. Uh, yeah. I mean, so uh, going to the first point about kind of uh, how do we manage or keep, um, you know, like a custom recipient uh, list of who the emails goes to. Um, I think like one of the ways that obviously that we will try it is, uh, you know, or you, you write some dirty uh, email in a text file and you read from that text file and that's your uh, first iteration. Uh, but, you know, one of the ways that I have uh, was able to manage, uh, to solve it was, you know, I would tie the emails that are going out to like, um, or to like a specific permission. So for example, like uh, in your case, Kyler, maybe there's a permission that says like receives uh, new user uh, alerts. Right. And uh, let's say you assign 10 people to that permission. And all you would have to do is when the email is getting queued up, I say, hey, give me all of the people who have those permissions. And then you can just send out 
um, uh, you know, those people, the email itself. And one of the benefits of that is that if someone uh, ends up like leaving the team or maybe temporary leave, you could either like deactivate their account, remove that permission. Uh, there's multiple ways of kind of like, well, this person's gone for a month. They may not even have access to the system. And, you know, that's one way to manage it. And it, it kind of falls in nicely, whereas, um, you know, you could just say like, well, I just want to deactivate this person and whatever permissions they have, whatever emails they have, um, they were they would be getting, they would just simply um, be gone from them. It, it's kind of like a nice fell swoop. Um, and to the second point about the email customization, uh, the content, uh, one of the ways I, I did it was, um, you know, this was early on and I feel like I didn't um, have like a really good concept in like email templating engines, uh, maybe mustache is like one of them that we could talk about later. Uh, but, you know, I basically adopted like a pretty, um, you know, uh, I guess uh, uh, pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know. Simple, uh, straightforward. Simple, yeah. <laughs> Nomadic or I don't know, just like very crude version of here's a variable in a template and we're just going to replace it with some sort of variable that comes from like a PHP uh, file. So it wasn't anything um, that could actually provide like logic, like, hey, if this is set, then show this, or here's a list of items. It was just like a pretty basic search and replace effectively. So, uh, you know, I, I, f I always felt like that solution was um, very uh, developer intensive. Like I was the only one who was able to like really um, configure this stuff, even though there was like a UI, um, uh, element where you know you could write the HTML and you could see you could write the HTML itself and see an instant preview. But I always felt that that for the end user it was super technical and um, you know it was almost like I think towards the end of <clears throat> working with those email templates, I actually converted everything into PHP <laughs> back into Blade templates or Markdown because I would be customizing that stuff anyway, um, and uh, rather than giving some sort of like choice of uh, email templates. I just said, well, there is no choice. <laughs> this is all you get because it was just so it was, it ended up being a little bit of a headache to be honest. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like the two approaches for customizing the recipient list or kind of controlling that. And how do you customize the content of the email itself, uh, that I've kind of run into. Yeah. Listening to this, it, it, I actually think there's sort of four pieces that have come up in in various ways for us um the sort of three that i already talked about um but also there's this fourth piece of um how do you let non-technical users on your team preview emails um even if they can't edit them um but you know if you're just talking about a traditional laravel mailable um that's going to need to, you know, it's going to accept some real arguments that are often models or other, you know, relatively complex data structures. There's potentially going to be some real logic in there to determine, you know, either at the view level, like, you know, some conditionals or about what what parts of the message um, are being shown depending on, on the data or... Um, or, you know, or even just like in the mailable itself, determining which view it's going to render. Um, and so even just this question of, 
you know, this came up for us pretty recently. A staff member was just like, I want to see like what new members receive. <laughs> and, um, it's not like you can just grab that bleed template and render it right. You know, there needs to be, there needs to be a step ahead of there where either, um, you know, where you're sort of creating some test data and maybe even multiple sets of, of like preview data for a given mailable to account for the different like sort of scenarios that a person might receive that in. Um, or like if you really wanted to go over the top, give, um, you know, give the staff member a way to, to like almost like, um, have either of you used, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? A storybook for React? Um, yes. You know, where you can preview different stories of components. And like the way that works is like the different inputs to those components are like wired up to these like tools that Storybook provides so that the, uh, the user of Storybook can just enter like a name in a box and see how that'll look or like, toggle a switch to to set like a boolean true or false and like um you know that's that's talk about over engineering like that's certainly over engineering but um i could imagine a world where that would be very cool you know to be able to just say like okay this mailable takes these values and um let the end user just plug them in you know here are the defaults um but yeah i I would say the the part of this that I think we have a pretty solid solution for is who receives what, right? So, you know, in the early days, all of these sort of staff reports, you know, a new user report or something like that, um, would just have the recipient hard coded in, in the message, um, in the in the mailable um, class, um, or you know, maybe you know, we were just hard coding the recipient in the like mail to and then we just put in a staff email address and then new uh new user report mail you know um and obviously that started to feel fragile pretty quickly and like um we switched to to this concept of like recipient groups where there was a config file and you could go into the config file and there were different named recipient groups and you could add or remove different um different folks to different groups so that, you know, these three people want to get this mail and these two people want to get that mail. But again, it's, you know, what uh, Skylar was saying at the beginning, every time we needed to change who received what, um, that's a whole deploy. Um, and that's not the end of the world. It's fine. But uh, it got annoying. Um, and so we implemented, I think, Bogdan, you implemented this, right? Configurable? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um well, go ahead. Why don't you talk about how, how configurable recipients works right now in our app? Sure. Um, so I think like one of the main challenges that we had to solve early on was the actual like admin UI, right? And I'll, I'll kind of step for, for, for that uh, from that perspective first. And one of the ways we kind of do this, we just say, we just query, we just kind of search for all of the files that are extending like a mailable class. And we're talking about a Laravel project here. And uh, we basically present it uh, on like an index page for a user, uh, for the administrator to kind of control or to see which mailables are configurable. And 
we allow the administrator to go in and select a user or multiple users who receive this mail. And then when the email is actually sent, all we're doing is matching um, you know, the class name of that mailable uh, to uh, you know, all the recipients that are configured for that mailable. And that's how we're able to control um, from kind of like a non-deployment side um, you know, from the, uh, like a UI, who is getting what email. Um, so I think like it has been working fairly well for us. I think there's a few small, uh, things that, um, you know, still need to be ironed out in terms of, um, one of the things that Skylar mentioned, for example, like a vacation mode or if somebody is leaving or someone else needs to get these emails, like we, um, sometimes forget to go in there and change the recipients. Even though it's easy, um, I still feel like we're sending some emails to people who shouldn't be or vice versa. Um, so I think there still could be uh, some improvement. Done. But overall, I think you know, it's a major uh, leap forward than you know, deploying um, email address changes uh, instead. So, Yeah, I mean, I could see pretty easily adding some concept of like recipient groups, right? Where, um, you know, kind of like what we were doing before with these arrays, there could be a billing group. And this is, you know, that's folks who receive billing related emails, right? And there's like, um, I don't know, like tech support group or whatever, right? And that's people who receive tech support uh, type emails. And then instead of having to go and look through the different uh, messages that are being sent and and decide like where do I add this person or or where do I need to go to remove this person it would be like you could add or remove a single user to a single email if that makes sense but you could also add or remove a user to a recipient group and then any message that goes to that group would also go to that user I think that could be a nice addition yeah, uh-huh. I think it kind of complements what I was mentioning earlier. Like you could have some sort of um, like group or permission uh, that, you know, a user is assigned to. And then that way we're just fetching data from that. Um, you know, we're fetching the users based on that uh, rule or that permission or group. Uh, it's a little bit more flexible almost, you know, where you could be like, well, here's 10 people in this group. They all get these emails. Um yeah. One thing that one thing that this also kind of helps solve for is like, um, you know, at a previous job we had multiple staging environments that were connected up to real SendGrid credentials because we wanted to make sure like things were actually being sent, and but we were like hard coding emails, email addresses in, so then like, you know, our billing manager was getting these emails from staging data and being like, um, I can't set up this account, like one, two, three main street, like what city, like what, like, so then, so then in our email templates, we had to be like, if environment, not production, like add this huge red block that just said like staging environment, like you can disregard. And like, that's, it was just kind of gross. And so being able to, you know, and so some of the emails, like we would store the email addresses in a, our environment file, like, uh, new recipient email address and and like that stuff just floods up your environment file with all these emails and then like you know not everyone on the dev team like has access to the environment rightly so so then like 
you know, your lead developer or your DevOps person has to go into the environment and update the config when someone on the support team leaves the company. And it's just, it's such a mess. Um, And so this approach where you add a trait to the mail and then we're using reflection to just like find all of the mailables that have that trait and let that then be powered by the database. It it was uh, a very cool feature um, to see. Yeah, and just to be clear, I mean, how this works, uh, Bogdan's right, probably the hardest part of this feature was, um, you know, essentially making the index page that shows all of the mailables that implement this trait, that use this trait. Um, But, you know, with that out of the way, really all this feature is, is just a table um, that has one column that is the fully qualified class name of the mailable and one column that is um, the recipient. You know, and, and in our case, um, that it actually has three columns. You can either configure an email address directly or you can point to a user. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And that way, if the user changes their email address, they continue to receive um, any mail that's configured for them. But if something needs to go out to someone who doesn't have a user account, we still uh, handle that scenario. Um, but, you know, the, the actual technical implementation is not that hard, um, but it definitely was a huge quality of life improvement. Um, and I think I can imagine sort of a similar approach to some of these other problems where, you know, potentially a, a mailable um, right now could essentially uh, pull in like a, you know, has preview states or maybe that would be an interface or something like that, right? And then you just um, implement like a public static function that's like get preview states and that just returns an array that's keyed by like the name, like a label or something like that. And then the value is just an instance of the mailable with all of the data that the mailable needs set up, right? And in there, like, you know, because that's, uh, we, we could just be loading that in the moment of preview, those objects don't actually have to exist in the database, right? You can just new up some temporary models um, you know, do like a factory make instead of a factory create and just set the data that your mailable cares about. Um, and then if there's like a major conditional where someone wants to see both, both cases, like you just return two different options, one where the condition was true and one where the condition was false. And obviously for more complex logic, setting that up would be a little bit annoying because you might have to set like three or four nested relationships, perhaps. And I can see, you know, the drift would probably get um, also to be a problem because realistically, you're going to forget to update those when you update the, uh, you know, the the email contents. But um, all said, I, I can see that being a pretty good solution to the to the preview concept. And then you just do the exact same thing. You just use um reflection to find all the mailables that implement this interface and list them and then uh when you click on one you know it just loads up the state and and just renders it you know could you 
could you just use reflection on all of the mailables, infer the parameters, and like, oh, it's a model, just do like a in random order first model and return it, and or like if it's a Boolean, just return a true or something. Like we like you could just potentially use reflection to dynamically generate all of this stuff. Um, and maybe there's a way to override it. Like there's a, oh, if you have like preview data uh, set, then you can use that to kind of like help prevent some of the drift that can happen when you forget to change something. Yeah, that's smart. Because, I, you know, my initial reaction was like, that's great for models and strings and booleans. Um, but like if you're passing in sort of like a DTO or, or some more complex like custom data structure, that's going to fail. But as long as you have a way to like provide that and you could even, um, you could even instead of like returning the whole mailable, you could just like, almost think of it as like a data provider, like test in testing where you're just returning the argument name and value. And that way, like uh, you're just providing the default that like we're just matching back to the name of the argument through reflection. And that way, like, yeah, even if the, the mailable changes, if you only need to customize one of the objects that it receives, like then you're you're mitigating that even further. I like that a lot. Well, and like so much like I would probably say like 80% of mailables have like a user and like maybe another model. You've got that 20% that yeah has like a special DTO and is doing like some extra stuff, but so many mailables are just like who's the user that's going to and it's like hi Bogdan like your account was past due and like maybe there's a subscription model that's being passed in, but like there's not so much stuff. It seems like you could just kind of use, use reflection and then have that, that extra space, extra function for, for the 20%. Right. And even like have some heuristics where it's like, you know, if the argument is sense, right. We know that that's like a money amount. And so like maybe, give some reasonable value and like if it receives like a user and a subscription maybe we find a user and then pass in that user's active subscription because like i could see if you're just like if something takes a user a company and a subscription and you're just passing in like a random one of each of those there's a good chance that like the mailable is going to blow up because it's assuming yeah. that they are related when they're not Usually that's probably not a problem because they're going to be loaded through relationships anyway. Well, and um, you could always like make a test that says like mail can be previewed and it loops through all of your mailables and like calls some render preview button uh, method that we provide. And that way, like if something breaks because you've changed, like that would prevent some amount of drift or like yeah. some special thing. It's like, oh, the defaults don't work here. I've got to go in and, uh, you know, configure the the preview data yeah i mean my only hesitation here is um this <laughs> this is uh this is 
reminding me of that time. This is pre Skylar, but when um, uh, Daniel wrote this whole thing that like lets you preview all the blade components uh, being like, well, if we could just see all the blade components, we'd actually like use them more and we'd know how they look and how they work. And like that whole thing got into production and no one has looked at it since (laughs) I did look at it in the first week I was here. And then I was like, all right, cool. And now I've probably stopped looking at it. Okay. Well, Well, there you go. I think, I think, uh, you know, as far as the, uh, you know, the component preview stuff that Daniel has worked on, I think one of the, um, one of the things that we're trying to solve, it was just, uh, it was great. Like Skylar said to get up and going, seeing what's, um, you know, in the system. But like, once you're working with this code all the time, you kind of are familiar with all of the components and, you know, you, you just feel more comfortable. Whereas the mailable stuff is a bit hidden. And it, for us, it may be obvious, even though sometimes it's hard to figure out, um, you know, uh, which emails exist. But I think for staff particularly, which I feel like most of the requests come from, you know, they want to be able to kind of figure out when uh, or like how an email looks like that is sent to uh, a user. And one of the ways they do that right now is someone replies to them with that email. And they're like, oh, well, that's how that looks like. You know, we don't have a really good story for, our staff members to actually see what those emails look like when they go out. Um, obviously, you know, we try to make sure that the text that we put in there is something we all agree on. But I think ultimately, you know, once we deploy that mailable, nobody has any idea really what the final look and feel is. Um, you know, sometimes we try to do good at that, but I think overall, like people forget and, you know, you just, even if you showed a screenshot of it, you know, two months later, no one's going to remember how it looked like. So I think, uh, I, I think it's a little different than having um, a useless component preview. I think it's uh, valuable to have, um, you know, this mailable preview. Yeah, it's just a question of if people use it or not. You know, I came across a package the other day that has been archived on on GitHub as like no longer maintained, but it would store a copy of the email content as it was being sent to the individual user. Uh, and it the purpose of that was that there, it would inject a view in browser link uh, so that if you like didn't want to e- read the email in your email, you could you could read it in the browser. but it was just like per user, uh, it was storing this in the database. Um, you know, and it kind of came up where someone on staff was like, what did the email say for this particular customer who like their account was past due, but they were still in a grace period, but I don't actually think they were still in a grace period, but they said that the email had this information. And so kind of the ability to store, like what did, what did this user get at this time? Like what was the email copy when they got it versus like, Oh, like we changed the email copy and now two weeks, two weeks ago, it, it said something different. And, you know, it's kind of interesting approach to like store the actual email content um, and not just, Random you know, data. not just data about like opens in and clicks. Yeah. I mean, I personally think that's a really good idea to do that for like auditing purposes. 
because uh, yes, templates do change, and you know uh, that mailable that we created six months ago had text updated a week ago, and nobody was notified. And uh, I think it's a good idea to, you know, store a copy of that content. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's even a better solution. Like if we were to send a bunch of emails to people and we had the content of those emails and maybe the previews are just, uh, you know, an, an, you know, like a single uh, email that we randomly select that was sent within like the last week. And that's how emails look like. And rather than like creating this, interface that um or some trait that you know you would have to like you know create a random model and random data uh, maybe that's like an easier solution yeah and you could even just like just prune the data um so that there's only say a hundred copies of any given mailable or you know some whatever the the threshold that we want i mean i'm generally I have generally become a believer in just keep all the data all the time because there have been so many times that I've been burned by not having uh, something to refer back to. But <clears throat> the contents of every email message that we send out is maybe a lot. But um, I do, I do think, I think having that for auditing, you know, when you think about it from an auditing perspective, it's useful to be able to go back further. But just from like a debugging and previewing perspective, you know, as long as you have a couple, even, you know, 10 or whatever copies of any given message, um, then yeah, for someone who wants to see like, oh, what does this message look like? They could click through to that mailable and then essentially just have a dropdown list of, you know, the last 30 or last 10 or last hundred who cares right copies of that message and they could just you know tick through those to take a look at it um and then so long as we're keeping them you know maybe we keep them around rather than keeping some set number maybe we keep them around for two weeks or something like that or four weeks or something like that that way you know if a staff member is in that situation where it's like well what did this email like i just talked to someone who said they got an email yesterday um or they got an email two weeks ago or whatever, you know, like they'd be able to view that, that message directly as long as it wasn't too old. Um, and that would be, you know, the only, the only situation where that wouldn't work is like for messages that only go out once every six months or something like that, things that are really rare, but those are kind of inherently going to have less of a need for this type of, um review because those are almost certainly going to be like internal messages that like you know maybe just have like a excel spreadsheet attached to them or something and it just doesn't matter what the contents is very much well and your you know your pruning could be it it could be like keep the last 50 emails that each user receives or like keep the last 10 emails that each user receives because then someone who got an email that goes out every six months, like it's going to still be in their email history until they sure. receive their 11th email or something like that. As opposed to just, just pruning based off of the create date of the, of the email. Right. Yeah. And you could even, you could even go so far as have like different pruning logic because 
the only, my only hesitation there is right there's there's like a certain class of message that just goes out to every user all the time <laughs> right like uh and you know multiply that by a uh, hundred thousand users like it just yeah i guess you know maybe it's just not that big a deal um i mean skylar's suggestion we, we talked about this very briefly and you talked about maybe you just throw it on s3 so it's not in the database and that mitigates a lot of the concern i think um so that's another interesting piece hey just store the content on s3 and then link to it and someone wants to know what it looks like you just click the link and you you're dropped onto an html page from from s3 let let us three handle the load of of that, and uh, I mean these are small files. And if I'm not mistaken, by S 3s pricing, like it's not going to cost anything to drop it on there because we're on S three, we're on EC two instances when we'd be generating the content. And then if it's never accessed, like you're paying basically nothing for storage of these files, right? And the nice thing about that, it would solve this thing where, you know, uh, even if we decide to keep the files for, uh, rather than pruning them, but keep them for a few years or something, you know, and, and some member or user comes back and says like, hey, I've never received this email. You know, we basically have like a permanent log and, um, you know, we, we could do that. I, I was also thinking the other approach that we could take is maybe drop some sort of like small config on the mailable that says like, prune this file in 30 days or something where, you know, if we want to, we say like, well, this email gets sent every day and like, we don't want a million copies of this. Um, you know, just this one needs to be cleaned up more often than others. So I think there's a lot of strategies, uh, I think that we could take. Yeah. You could just have a sane default and then mm -hmm. if you needed to go into a specific mailable and say like, this one needs to be cleaned up more often. Mm-hmm. And I think an interesting thing, kind of switching topics a little bit, is like customizing the actual content of the message, not the template of what the email looks like, but um, like the actual content. Um, you know, you have non-staff or non-technical people that want to change what the email looks like, uh, like the content within the email and making that easy. Uh, easier to handle. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely an issue for us because, um, you know, basically these messages never get changed because they, they like to change it. There's a sort of a you know, changing content goes through an editorial process usually, right. Where there's um, often sort of the, stakeholder writes the content but then it goes through an editor and then it comes to us and um you know it's it's a pain to, uh to change it after the fact and that, not everything goes through that process but a lot of things do um and so giving like having an interface for um for managing that content and maybe even um you know having some sort of system of flagging whether like the latest edit has been reviewed like you know there's a bunch of sort of interesting pieces there too where um you know someone goes in and updates a piece of content and that could that could actually uh trigger a review uh 
from our editor to make sure that it, you know all the all the spelling and hyphenation and whatnot is right. Um, I don't know if that would be V one, but uh, it's it's kind of opens up an interesting. Um, uh, you know, an interesting can of worms. We get back into event sourcing all, all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at a previous job, we would send transactional type emails to our customers. Customers um, worked at a company that made websites and these websites would have different contact related forms on them. And at first, like we would just send, like we my the my employer would send an email when someone filled out a form and we'd say like hey thanks for filling out the form and we'd email our customer saying like hey someone filled out this form like here are the results um but some of our customers are like we want to change what the email body looks like that we're sending to our users like our visitors right. um and so the approach that we took was basically like we would store Markdown in the database and with uh, like merge keys of like user.name and like user.form field. Um, and then when the email was sent, we were like, does this, does this customer have a custom email body for this email? If they do, then like load up our like emails.custom markdown file. Right. Otherwise, like use our default. Um, and it worked pretty well. Uh, you know, we we got around customers having to learn markdown by just using a a tiny MCE like WYSIWYG editor and then converting the HTML to markdown to store in the database. Um, and it and it worked pretty well because it also eliminated people from trying to like put in video tags or like a lot of things that aren't going to show up in an email, uh, an email provider's inbox. But yeah, it worked okay. It was just, we didn't have previews. It was just, here's your form field and here's like your, I don't know, merge tags, but it, it worked pretty well, I would say. Yeah, I think that Markdown is definitely a good uh i don't know in between or you know place to settle on something like this because even if you even if you don't use like a WYSIWYG um i think that for the type of content in email messages where it's like you really aren't you don't want to let them do very much formatting right um it's a lot easier except for links. So maybe having like a link helper. And then like I've looked at, there's um, a tip tap editor, um, which is just another WYSIWYG. And actually I should look, maybe Frolla does this because we use Frolla for a lot of WYSIWYG stuff. And I, I think it's a fantastic editor. Um, but what's cool about tip tap is, um, you know, you can, you can like implement sort of placeholder type um, functionality directly inside of it. So that like, you know, the, the example that they've, they have is like at mentions, right? You type an at and it gives you a select, uh, a dropdown of like usernames. And then that is like a token in the message, like that you edit, like you can, 
move or remove entirely, but like once it's in as a token, it's like you your users aren't thinking about like something like handlebars or or uh you know some twig syntax where it's like I have to you know, and even I'm kind of amazed that MailChimp hasn't done this because MailChimp, right, like still uses the, you know, asterisk pipe variable name uh, format for their like merge variables. Um, but yeah, like if you basically know a given message has um, potential, like all these are variables available to this message. Um, then storing that content in the database somewhere um, with like, you know, some sort of placeholder format um, and giving giving some sort of WYSIWYG editor experience. I, I think that that's like the dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the great thing about storing it as Markdown is like, at least in Laravel, like Laravel has first class email Markdown support. Like all we had to do was drop the Markdown into the Markdown method on the mail and then like we were done and it was right it made it really easy we didn't have to do a ton of other work to to have that uh, yeah i mean like we used in tiny mce like we built a custom plugin that like you could click the button that was like username and uh user dot form input like we were able to to have these buttons and it, it like showed up in the text as like bracket bracket user dot name right but um at least they didn't have to know the exact formatting of what that looked like yeah i mean I, and you know in the end obviously people can handle a little bit of that sort of technical stuff as long as you give them guardrails and do a little bit of like validation and stuff like that yeah i like the uh, markdown approach because i feel like some of the things that uh, I'm sure everybody has noticed, uh, you know, people tend to copy paste word documents <laughs> and put them into e email, uh, email uh, templates. And then there's a bunch of garbage in there. So I think having like a really clean and easy format that, um, you know, doesn't give you too much, um, you know, uh, creative ability from the user end you know, um, is, is a really good uh, placeholder. And the nice thing about, um, you know, Markdown is you could also um, use the Laravel mailables, uh, not mails, notifications, uh, where you could store, you know, the, the content, like that Markdown uh, itself. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if that's not how it works, but I'm pretty sure that, like, you're basically... Uh, you can preview like a sent um, notification in a database, like database mailables or database yeah. notifications. That's how it works. Yeah, and yeah. we've only we only really do two mail in our notifications mm -hmm. right now. But I know if you use a use like two database, I don't know what format that's stored in. I'm not sure if it's Markdown or not. Um, it's it sort of up to you. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I mean, because it's stored in the database, it's like text. And then it's however you want to then pull those out and display them right. um, in your system. Oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I think about is, um, you know, right now we have, we've implemented some things as notifications, I think. But I think that was partially just like whenever notifications came out in Laravel, it 
it was looking like that was going to be the like official way to send stuff out. Um, but in, in reality, um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like mailables are ever going away, right? Like a notification is sort of an, an additional abstraction layer that either, I think it, the way we're doing it where notifications are really only ever going to mail is just sort of a needless <laughs> abstraction. Um, but I do, I do think a lot about, um, particularly when we have folks who, you know, marked a message from us as spam and then, uh, call up yelling that they didn't get the message. <laughs> um, like having another way for them to look up all the messages that they've received from us would be really nice. Um, but on the flip side, I, I often, I don't know. I just, I know personally it really irks me when like I log into an app that I haven't been in for a little while and there's like 35 notifications and all of them are things that I already looked at in my email, but because they're two separate things, it's like, there's no way, there's no reliable way to know. Although I think, did, did you say that, um, you guys in your previous place tried to to sync those up, Skylar? Yeah, we so we had this situation where like you have a user account and you can belong to multiple teams. And in in situations where you get invited to a new team, uh, we would send you an email, but we would also send you an in-app like database notification. And if you clicked the accept invite link in your email in that controller, we would then go in and delete the invite notification from the database because you had clearly already been sent. Interesting. You'd already like accessed that. Um, that was kind of like the, um, the only place where that type of notification was being used, but we kind of built, built it so that um, it was easy to, you know, I could foresee other other emails, like maybe you track when it was when there's a click or if it was opened. Those those like opens are really finicky. Right. Like I, that makes email, me nervous. You know, yeah. so like you can't necessarily trust the open, but um the other thing that you know I could see you doing is like maybe your database notification has like a expiration date. And so if it's over, you just prune them, like prune notifications that like probably don't matter. Um, or just mark them as red. Or mark them as red. Yeah. Um, but in this case, like if you clicked the email, then we would delete or mark it as red. I think we marked it as red um, that, that the notification was in there. Right. Uh, but if you were in the app and you clicked it, then it was marked as red and like you still got the email, but you know, that it didn't. I don't know of a way to unsend an email, but at least <laughs> at least in the app, like we knew they clicked the link because they landed on the like accepted page. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I was I thought that maybe you were trying to sync up with like a you know, an open um webhook from SendGrid or something. And that just made I don't I feel like that's un too unreliable it's to too, really it's too unreliable, like 
I use Hey for my personal email and they claim to block all of those open and click links. I have no idea if that's true. Like if it's true that they can fully block all of it, but I, I don't think those are reliable. I know Apple's privacy um, privacy email settings like make it much harder in the mail app to to track opens and clicks. So yeah, I mean, even Gmail does that, I believe, where the, you know, the, it's not like, you know, it used to be that the message never even, like the, the, the contents of the message not was, wasn't parsed, right? Until like you clicked on it in Thunderbird. And do, do, do either of you guys remember Thunderbird? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. You click, click the message in Thunderbird, right? And it would, download the contents from the server at that moment and parse the HTML and render it. Right. And that's like, then, then for sure, you know, that that's the first time that that, like, if it's fetching an image or whatever, that's the first time that that image was fetched. But you know, nowadays, no email client works that way. So they're all, um, loading the message usually on receive and, you know, parsing it for spam and, you know, potentially like proxying the images yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah. So, so like we, we don't use that. We were basically like managing the click. And if you clicked on it, you land on our, you eventually land on our controller. And, and then we just had a like uh notification, like Marcus red method or on the, I forget exactly what the method was, but it, it was like very easy to just link those together. Right. Um, shoot. I, I was thinking, what if uh, we talk about email unsubs uh, unsubscribes, right? Like you want to unsubscribe for an email. And I was thinking about this because, you know, theoretically what we could do is... Um, uh, create like a dashboard that lists the emails that uh, we kind of have set to go out, maybe like in some sort of list that we curate. And the only thing the user would have to do is just say, well, I don't want to receive like, past due reminders, <laughs> right, from from, from <laughs> you guys ever. <laughs> of course. And, you know, at the time that that reminder is set, you know, we would then save that uh, like fully qualified domain name, uh, class name into a database and at the time that it's supposed to be set, all we're going to say is like, hey, but make sure that this person's not unsubscribed from this uh, fully qualified class name. Uh, and then that way we just skip, um, you know, sending an email to that person because they've just unsubscribed from that particular email. Um, I think it's like a pretty quick solution to that because I know that that's also something that's fairly challenging. Um yeah, that's a good, I like that idea. I mean, I, I know that like a lot of the email service providers, I'm pretty sure that SendGrid has a way to basically like inject an unsubscribe link into a message. And if you like provide the correct like metadata so that they know like what the grouping or like what the ID of that message type is, um, they can handle that for you. Um, but I do, yeah, I like the idea of just sort of, again, it'd probably be something where you'd want it to be opt in, right? Where any given mailable, you could add like an interface to, to say yes. like, this is unsubscribable or something Correct. like that. 
Yeah. And, and then we just present that list to the user and they could say, oh yeah, I don't want to get these messages. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing is, you know, uh, we have to, I think, consider that not everybody uses SendGrid or, uh, you know, um, some other mail gun or something else. And, you know, if you look at like, SES, it's pretty like bare bones, you know, and I feel like a lot of people use that. And, um, you know, I think having an in-app solution is still like worthwhile uh, rather than potentially just having unsubscribes on the mail server and then your app is still dispatching these emails um, right. for everybody. So I don't know. That was just my quick thinking as you were uh, scratching your head there real quick, uh, <laughs> thinking about what you were going to say. Uh, but I think like overall, you know, um, you know, we talked about the configure, the configurable recipients feature, uh, which I, I really like that approach. I think we could probably, um, you know, improve on it a little bit with maybe some roles or groups. I think that's a really clever uh, solution um, to manage like which groups of people get these emails as well. Um, and obviously configured emails like the content uh, is obviously a huge thing. Um, you know, I've looked at the Frola does offer a plugin for Markdown. I think it's a good solution uh, and using something like handlebars or, you know, even some bare bone, um, you know, parsing script also makes sense. So I like it. Yeah, and then you could do the same thing where it's um you know, it's a it's it might all still need to be like a trait because you you probably are always going to need to map um the properties on the mailable, right? If the mailable receives like two booleans and a user object, right? Like okay, we could just write a thing that maps the user object, or maybe even for all models, you just do two array and you just like present the array keys um, as the options. Um, but you'd still probably need some intermediate thing that's like, uh, these are the variables <laughs> that are available to this mailable. Um, and I, and some honestly, PHP attributes, yeah, some PHP attributes maybe. Um, but even that, like, uh, I think you'd want to curate right for any given message, even for the, for the user, like you probably don't need to expose all the different, uh, attributes of a user to the mailable, right? Yes. You'd want to be like, okay, here's their display name, right? Here's, uh, you know, here's this city, state, country, like diff different pieces of information that are going to be relevant. Um, so there, there probably need to be an intermediate step there too. Um, yeah, I agree. I feel like a lot of times what we do is uh, we would do like a for each loop inside the template. Um, you know, let's say we're listing a list of users and then we call like some sort of special function on a user, like, oh, give me their full name, which is just concatenating their first and last name. And we do that fairly regularly, but it seems to me like it has to happen beforehand inside that template and just passes an array, you know, like. Well, right. I mean, right there, that's a great example of like, if you have a loop inside of your message, like this solution does not, does not unless your message, unless you want to let, a, you know, 
include a full templating language that has things like loops and conditionals, like um, that's just not going to be possible either. Yeah, you have to do that loop. You would have to like map it. Yeah, or you or like create your mail. You create your mail merge tag that is like, here's the list of exams you took over the last eighteen weeks or like the last quarter, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, here's your. You can choose where you want that list to go. You don't get to dis- right. necessarily like change what the list says, but like, oh. here's your here's your mail merge for like courses taken last quarter. And uh, you put that in somewhere. Right. And then you just like have a separate view that you like render Mm -hmm. and then pass that in as a string. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That that wouldn't be that bad. I mean, what? So I'm not 100% familiar with the mustache uh, templates. Um, I know that, Chris, you said you've had some experience. I mean, would it be possible to have like a more data rich environment there or no? It would be, but then you're just like asking a lot of the end users. Like, I mean, you're like, asking I mean, you said you were basically logic. like writing raw HTML and then you ended up having to do it all. Right. So it's kind of like if your end users, like at most they customized their MySpace pages back in the day, like, you know, you just got to make it easy or no one's going to customize it or they're not going to want to touch it or they're going to ask us to touch it. Um, and then we're gonna have to leave our ID and use a form. I think, I think like there's probably uh, I don't know maybe a bit of a pipe dream about like just allowing like an everyday person like modifying mail, right? Maybe they'll modify a little bit of the content, but I feel like you know just even us writing emails, um, you know, the writing the actual mailable class and the views and everything, like you know, it's it's fairly technical. Like even this loop and uh, you know some of. I don't know, some of the decisions, some of the variables that are displayed. And I feel like, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's really possible to give a lot of control to someone who is non-technical to uh, update emails. I know that people do this in obviously MailChimp and WordPress and stuff like that. But um, I think once it becomes like very complex, or like once there's like a little bit of complex logic, like, uh, you know, you almost have to like you as a developer, um, for example, like let's just say you want to include like uh, some sort of password reset link, right? Well, we obviously, let's say, create that password re- reset link inside the mailable. We pass it down as a variable that can be consumed. But it's almost like, well, we want to make sure that that link is displayed, you know, whereas like the end user could be like, well, I'm not going to display it. Um, so I, I feel mean, like... Yeah. In those contexts, though, like you could just make your like you're providing a introduction to the to the password reset, but like the actual button that renders the reset link, like that, could just be hard coded in the Mm -hmm. template. But like we're letting them customize everything else. I see. You know, there's there's some options there. Sorry, Chris, Mm -hmm. you were trying to say something. No, no. I mean, I think you were you're getting at the same thing that I I started thinking about, which is. <clears throat> this this um this brings me back to Medusa like yes right internally we have this uh sort of headless CMS concept where um you know there are lots of pages on a website where you want 
certain parts of the page to be editable, but a lot of the page is either dynamic and shouldn't be editable or like there's a lot of like very sophisticated um, mark markup and CSS to make like, you know, some fancy, uh, I don't know, UI component. And like, you don't want someone to be able to edit that. You just want them to be able to edit the like headline text that shows above that and maybe like the paragraph that shows below it and then like the outro text at the bottom, right? And so our solution for that is we have this, this um, CMS where you basically wrap like editable portions of a page in these tags and then only those elements can be edited on the page, but the rest of it, like we have full design markup control of. Um, and, you know, just like listening, listening to us talk about this, it it's coming back to that almost here where it's like, actually, maybe the, the ideal is not letting people edit the messages, <laughs> right? It's giving people a nice way to customize the parts of the message that they're actually going to change, right? And maybe you still need to do some like merge variable support there, but V1, you probably don't need to like for, for the first pass at this, um, the message could be like, hi, first name, comma, and then you have a paragraph that's editable. And then you have a table of like the exam sessions. And then you have like a like um, salutation paragraph that's editable, right? Um, and we could, I mean, internally, we could even render this using Medusa right now. Um, and you'd set the defaults, but if someone wants to go in and change that introductory paragraph, um, they could easily go in and do it. I mean, it, it has the trade-off of we're kind of going back to the beginning where now you do need to have like sort of sample data for any message because um you know we need to be able to render it to give them a way to edit it but um you know given that trade-off it comes with the benefit of being like yeah we don't not only do we not have to but we kind of don't want to have like non-technical users thinking about loops and tables and like you know especially with email content like the the just outlandish efforts you have to go to to get like markup to work for anything that's not really just like a paragraph <laughs> um you know like six nested tables with different like uh padding and and via line settings and stuff right um and that that certainly is appealing yeah i really like the approach of this uh and i was going to ask uh, earlier is medusa a public project chris or is this something just in our world right it's not yet okay i, I hope to make it public someday but mm -hmm. it's not in a state that it can be yeah i think like uh i really like the um you know this kind of solution where we give enough to make some sort of change uh to the non-technical person but overall like they cannot change like the reset link uh, you know, uh, not being displayed or not properly put in as a markdown piece of content. I think that's a um, really good um, solution uh, to this 
kind of like customizing the email. And I think even for developers, I feel like one of the challenges that I have or that I kind of dislike about writing email in general is that you're kind of flying blind uh, as you're writing the template. And then you kind of like send yourself that message to see how it looks like. And then you open up whatever flavor of local email parser tool you have and you see it and then you go back and you modify it. And it's like, by the time you align everything correctly, you know, you switch the tab like 20 times. Whereas having some sort of like online, you know, in, in app preview is like a pretty good, um, you know, solution in my mind. And, and it's not like realistically, it's not like every message needs to have this support, right? Like it's only probably 10 emails that staff really are ever going to want to edit. And obviously that's going to be different uh, case by case for different, um, you know, different organizations. But I, I think for us, that's true. Like most messages that we send out, there's just not a lot to it. Right. And it's, it's never going to change. It's really things like, you know, welcome emails where maybe like, it'd be great if we could um, have a way for staff to be able like, you know, we're doing this convention in October. Like it would be awesome if someone could go into the welcome emails that are going out and add just like a little, Hey, and did you know that internet she is hosting this convention in October? Right. And of course then they have to remember to go back in and remove that. But um, I think there's, there's a huge upside to letting folks have more control over some of those, those messages and it wouldn't have to be a ton. I think um, Bogdan's idea about um, unsubscribes kind of, we, we got off of it, but I'm going to bring it back because it was kind of a nice segue into this last piece that I've been thinking about a little bit. We don't really have the use case for yet. Um, this is more along the lines of what you were talking about, Skylar, of when you're sending messages, not to your customers, but to the customers of your customers, right? Where your customer needs, uh, you know, wants more ownership over that message. And the message contents is one piece, um, but also the, the logic is another piece, right? So, you know, a, a, an example would be, um, you know, there's a big tool in the home inspection world um, that, that lots of home inspectors use to manage their customers and manage sort of like marketing automation flows for their customers and all sorts of integrations. Uh, and I know a big, uh, a big um, component of that is sending out emails to their customers um, at different points, right? Like, you know, you, your inspection is scheduled or your inspection is coming up or thanks, you know, thank you for uh, having us at your home. Like, here's here's some details about the inspection we just performed, like all these different steps. Um, and I don't know, you know, this is just this is just sort of an example that I can think of. I don't know how much customization they allow or how they handle it. But I'm sure <laughs> that they get all sorts of feature requests for more ways to control like, well, I don't want this message to go out five days before the inspection. I want it to go out seven days or three days, or I want one to go out seven days, three days, and one day. You know, like I think there's an infinite 
number of possible scenarios like that. Um, and so, I, you know, we have a use case that is sort of potentially going to be slim, similarly flexible um, where I've just been thinking about like eventually if this, if this feature that's mostly internal right now ever gets live for our members to use outside of like this one specific context, they're going to start wanting those same things. Like, you know, they uh, maybe are going to receive a report about some, some records in the database and maybe they're going to want to say, I want that report every month. Like one person might say, I only want the report every month. And another person might say, I want the report every week. And another company might say, we want this report every day. Right. Um, and so that's obviously a whole, whole can of worms because I don't know if you can, you know, we're, we're basically describing a programming language. Um, but I have just been thinking like, what approaches might you take to um, allow for that type of flexibility in not just like the message content, but actually like, you know, the logic around if and when certain messages are sent. So yeah, it's, oh, sorry, go on Bogdan. Oh, sorry about that. Um, thank you. Uh, so one of the um, ways I've managed to solve it uh, in like a multi-tenant context is, uh, you know, there's one Laravel app that is a multi-tenant app uh, that I would have, that I have. And, um, you know, uh, one of the features that I have is like, uh, let's say you're scheduled, uh, just for context, this is like a scheduling platform, like a work uh, schedule management system um, where, you know, you're scheduled to go on a shift that starts, let's say, whatever, tomorrow at 8 p.m. And, you know, one of the features that it offers is, you know, there's a there's a way to send a upcoming shift notification. So, you know, uh, for example, like 24 hours before your next upcoming shift, it would send an email saying, hey, don't forget that you're going to work tomorrow at 8 p.m. This is like just a reminder. But, uh, you know, a different tenant may choose a different time. So one of the ways that I was able to kind of solve it is I, uh, I have like a setting table and it would just say like this type of notification is sent, let's say, 12 hours before or six hours before. And the way that would work is there would be a... Um, a, a scheduled job in a kernel that runs every minute or every hour you can do. Uh, probably every hour is fine. And uh, once that job is ran inside the command, inside the, inside the command, you would just loop through all of the tenants and say, okay, well, give me the tenant and give me the this, this setting and then find me all of the shifts within this time frame, and then dispatch the emails. Um, so that is one way that you could potentially do. And I, I can imagine this is something that's similarly happening to um, this uh, system that you're describing, Chris. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And I, and I think, I imagine that something like this is just always going to have, um, you know, there are always just going to be boundaries of what what's going to be allowable. Because um, <clears throat> I could even see in that scenario, if you have another tenant who um, wants to send out a reminder 24 hours before, two hours before <clears throat> you could always just have like two emails one is like you know shift 
first reminder and shift second reminder, you know? Mm-hmm. And sure. then like, if you have a, if you have a tenant who wants three, you could just add shift third reminder, right? right. And just by right. default, the, the new ones are just set to be not enabled for anyone. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that, maybe that's the best solution. I I've been thinking a little bit about like, what if instead of having like a, um, sort of like shift first reminder, um, message template, instead Mm -hmm. you, um, you basically think about, and I, I do not, I, (laughs) I'm not bringing up event sourcing again. I'm just going to (laughs) preface this with, (laughs) but you basically think about these as events, right? Where, um, what if instead you're just saying, okay, there's a, um, there's like an hours before shift event that fires every hour for 48 hours. That includes one argument, which is like number of hours until shift, right? And then you give your clients basically a way to say, you know, when this happens with like this number of hours remaining, send this email, right? And that way, if I want to send out an email every hour for 48 hours leading up to a shift, I could create 48 custom messages. And all of those are just basically saying, when this event happens with these arguments, send this message. And like, I imagine that there's a way to kind of, you know, these are, these are events. I would think of them as purely events that are for customer consumption. Like you would keep them totally separate from the rest of your applications events. Um, and you'd like only trigger them from like a scheduled job or something like that. But then if a customer comes to you and says, you know, I want to be able to like reach out to people who are still on staff, but haven't like picked up a shift in six months, you know, like, um, it wouldn't cost you that much to basically just like add a new, uh, scheduled job, right. That once a day performs that query and triggers that event. And now like, that that use case is supported. And I feel like that may be a really flexible way to approach this problem. Um, but right, it, the the downside is it may be a little more like technically difficult for customers to understand because now they're they're not thinking like this is what the you know cu- customer reminder email looks like. They're they're having to think like, I want to send this email when like 24 hours after a like on the like job happened in past event when hours is 24 or whatever. Like you'd have to do a lot of work to make the UI nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost a little bit like, uh, like drip campaigns. I think, um, you know, like mail, mail coach, like spotty's newsletter thing, like their latest version has this drip builder where you can, like send automated emails on a schedule and there's like ways to like opt out of those. And the, the founders of honey badger built a tool called Hey, Hey, yeah, Hey, yeah. Dot 
dot email, H-E-Y-A dot email. And it's similar in that you can like create these campaigns. Theirs is all code generated. Um, but it, it's almost like we we could have these campaigns that, that could be built where they're like, all right, well, your campaign starts when the job was scheduled or the campaign starts when the user fills out a like request for something, a request for an inspection. Right. And then five days after or four days before the scheduled inspection, um, it's a little less flexible than what you were saying because like we're kind of providing them what those campaigns are, um, you know, specific, but it may be a little bit easier to like build a UI that lets people design these, you know, they could send, they could add eight emails to their campaign. I mean, honestly, as I think about it, I feel like a rule builder UI like <clears throat> I think the trick is you'd need to um you'd basically need to map an event to a like label that makes sense in like a rule builder context. But then like it'd be pretty easy to just say like, okay, I want to send an email. Why when do I want to see send the email? And like the options are after a inspection is completed or you know, uh, uh, before an inspection is scheduled, right? Or before an inspection is performed or when an inspection is scheduled, right? You just like essentially have to think about these events as like strings that make sense in that context. And then you would just have dropdowns for any of the parameters, right? So like, I want to send this after an inspection is performed and when you choose that from like the rule builder then you have the option to say like after x number of hours right and like you could set it to zero to have it happen immediately or you could set it to 10 or 400 or whatever you want you know um and that that would be pretty easy for people to use i think mm -hmm. Yeah, I've certainly ran into uh, one of these like workflow automation tools before. And, uh, you know, it was like a very user friendly thing where it was, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, like a little, uh, you know, uh, configuration or WYSIWYG builder type of thing, where, where it would say like, you know, when an invoice, uh, you know, is sent to a client also send like a text message, um, you know, later or something like that, you know, and, you know, it seemed pretty easy in the UI portion. I don't know how complex it sounds, like, a bit complex, but it's certainly one of those things where it would give a lot of flexibility where you could have like just various events, like you said, that are able to happen. And then, you know, you would just, I suppose, store them in a database and uh, add some sort of time frame that says like, well, uh, you know, when, uh, when uh, um, you know, uh, an invoice is generated, then, you know, 24 hours later, send a text message uh, as well, you know, to remind them to pay that invoice. Right. Um, so I think, you know, it's pretty plausible to do something like that. Um, it's just, I think one of the challenges is the UI component as well. Yeah, let's just build Zapier real quick. <laughs> oh, Zapier. That's right. That's what that is. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's an interesting concept. 
Yeah, I mean, and this is one of those things where uh, we don't have to, we we at Internet you don't have to figure it out quite yet. But I think it's um, it's definitely part of this conversation. Or you know, it's like it's been on the edge of discussions from time to time. Is like, um, not only do we want to be able to customize other parts of the message, but like. I mean, even even going back to Skylar's first um, first example, like maybe maybe it's just like instead of having vacation mode, you just the, the the solution. Obviously, having vacation mode would be great, but if there was more um, user level control of these messages, like just having a way for them to go in and say, uh, you know, update the logic to be like, and the dates are not between these two dates, you know, like and. Don't send anything on New Year's Eve or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like you could, if you had sort of just like a generic rule builder, um, yeah, it could be, um, it could be another way to solve that problem. It, you know, obviously it introduces a lot of complexity though. Or you could just use Zapier and MailChimp and uh, then it wouldn't be over-engineered though. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, what's the point of that? We, we I, could, I did think like that, that may honestly be the best solution is just like, uh, build a bunch of Zapier triggers and be like, Hey, if you want to like, if you want to send out email messages based on things that happen inside the app, like you just connect whatever email provider you want with our Zapier integration and you're on your own, you know, like, um, yeah, it's not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, that. That's talk for for not this podcast. This is about <laughs> over engineering things. <laughs> yes, but yeah, I mean, I like uh, I like that approach. Um, I think it's it's very over engineered. Well, this feels like a pretty good place to stop. Um, I I feel like I want to mull over a couple of these pieces, um, but. I do really like the idea of using, I like the idea of using Medusa to edit um, email contents so that you can just like um, zero in on the few pieces of those messages that that ought to be edited and you don't have to deal with any of the nonsense of like, oh yeah, are they going to accidentally like remove the button styling from the link or whatever, you know? Um and that feels like a good a good solution there, even if it does mean that we have to come up with some sort of like way to pull in defaults for preview or whatever. Um, but yeah, all in all, I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty satisfied with where we got to. Same, same. I feel like if uh, if people have opinions, be sure to to share them on like Twitter and Mastodon and Threads and a million other apps on Blue social. Sky. Blue sky, or if you're coming to Laricon in like a week, uh, come find us. We'll be there. Yeah, and uh, I'm bringing some over-engineered stickers, so come and grab one. Nice. All right, let's call it. See ya. <laughs>